Well, I'm really excited to be with you this morning. I want to pass along uh, excitement, too, to the folks that are joining us at our Liberty Hill campus or in the gym venue. But I'm excited because it's been six months since I've gotten to be up here and share with you. And, and so I'm, I'm excited because of what the Lord has done in my life and excited to share that with you today. But before we get started, I want to share a little something. There's a, there's a theory that I have about smartphone users, okay? And I, that's, I think, of utmost importance. But my theory is there's two types of smartphone users out there. And there are those that, that have their smartphone and on their, the apps... They have the little red badges. You guys know what I'm talking about? The little red notification circles that happen. Tell you if you have a new email or a new text message or something like that. Well, I'm convinced there are two, simply two types of people that use smartphones. There are those that, those red notification badges is what they're called. They don't even notice them. They, they, they appear, they don't notice them, and they don't have any effect on them. And so, uh, they can see the number of notifications they have, and it has no effect on them. And then there's another group of people that see those notification badges, and they have to deal with them at that moment. They cannot live until they've dealt with it. And the reason why I have this theory is because my wife and I fall into each of those categories. Okay, I'm the type of person that as soon as something appears on my phone or in my email account, I have to, I can't deal with the red badge. It has to go away. And so if I get a text or or anything, I'm always looking at my phone to make sure that we have a clear page. My wife, on the other hand, and I asked her permission if I could share this, so I'm, I'm in the clear here. She, this morning, had, I think, roughly over 3,000 unread emails in her thing, and I'm, 3,000. She had a couple hundred unread text messages, And I'm not saying this to say that she's not good at communication because she's much better at it than I am. She's just got a different system. And so what I've found is that I have to use my my kind of disposition towards the red notification badges in a certain way to help me. Because I I don't like them to appear on my phone because I want to deal with them right away, if I have something urgent or something that I need to deal with, I keep the red badge there or I mark it as unread so that I will deal with it in due time and I won't forget it. Because that's the real deeper issue for me is that I'm an extremely forgetful person. I will see an email and if I go, oh, that's important, and if I don't keep the red badge there, two minutes will happen and I'll forget that I need to respond to somebody or I need to reply or something of that nature. So I use my own disposition about these red badges in order to try to be a good communicator because I'm extremely forgetful. And I see this, this tendency of mine to be forgetful play out in other areas. I uh, forget tasks that I need to do. I forget uh, certain birthdays or holidays sometimes. And, and I remember as a kid trying to find a system in order to remember my mom's birthday because I just I didn't want to forget that. And so I tend to be really forgetful. And recently I've seen that play out in my own kind of walk, because I was asked by a friend just the other day, actually just last week, because of my journey with cancer, it's been, see, seven and a half months since my diagnosis, four and a half months since my last chemo treatment, and still feeling the effects of some of the 
the treatment itself and the side effects, but very healthy. I feel very good. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And so my friend asks me last week, he says, so do you just wake up every day and just the, your first thought is, man, thank you, God, for another day. Do you wake up just so grateful that, and, and, and find each day and each breath to be very, very precious? And I wanted to be able to say to him, absolutely. Every day I wake up and I go, man, this is a gift. Thank you, Lord, for another day. But the reality is I, I don't wake up that. I feel good. And so life is beginning to, to progress as usual. And I don't wake up every day just so grateful and, and reminded. Now, it's, I don't get too far into my day before I remember, oh yeah, I have these side effects, or I look in the mirror and I go, is it still thinning up top here? I'm reminded, to be sure, but I don't emerge out of bed every day with a heart full of gratitude, and that's desperately something that I want to have. And I don't know if you're like me, where the Lord has moved in your life in certain times and seasons, or He's worked in people's lives around you, and you think, man, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget what God has done. And then time goes by, and soon we don't remember it. It's not on the forefront of our mind. Now something will happen to trigger that memory and we'll go, oh yeah, remember. Oh, that's powerful. And then time will go by and, and we tend to forget. And if you're like that, that it probably is troublesome for you because we don't want to be that way. We want to be people that can keep a record and, and regularly recognize what the Lord has done. And the thing is, is, is God knew that, that we would have a tendency towards this. And we're not the first people to wrestle with this issue of forgetfulness. He's designed it into creation. He's told us about it in His Word, and we'll look there in a minute. But just it, when you step back and realize what the Lord, the lengths to which God has gone to remind us regularly of His salvation and His provision, the way that He has redeemed us and rescued us and constantly provides for us. Just think about, He could have designed, He is the King of the cosmos, He could have designed the solar system and the way the planets move, the way the sun rises and sets, the moon. He could have designed that anyway, but the way that He designed it is that He every day there would be a sunrise, a dawn, and as the sun would rise, it would drive out darkness. It would provide life and light. But then every day, it would go down, and there would be darkness. There would be a fall. But do not despair, because every morning, there's a rise. There's a sunrise, and it drives out darkness. And it's this constant daily reminder that the light drives out the darkness, that there is a new life, there is a new day. Think about the seasons. We have, we're in the midst of winter right now where most of the leaves have fallen, so things appear to be dormant or even dead. 
But then the next season will occur. One of my favorite seasons. And that's the season of spring. Where all of a sudden new life starts to bud. And things that once appeared to be dead will now come to life again. And begin to bear fruit. And produce more and more life. And abundance and joy that comes with summer. But then every year there's a fall. And we're reminded of decay and death. But don't despair because there always comes spring with that new life yet again. And so you see the way that God has designed the seasons into the, the cycle of days, this idea of resurrection, of new life, redemption, good overcoming evil. You even see it in the elements that the Lord chose in terms of communion. You think about we take the bread and we take the cup. And he tells us to do this in remembrance of him. The sacrifice, the perfect life lived, the sacrifice, and then ultimately his resurrection. And you think about even the elements themselves bear testimony to what God has done. Because bread, in order to become bread, it's wheat, it grows in the field, it comes to the peak of its life. It's bearing optimal fruit. And then the Sith comes, right? And it comes and it cuts it down at the prime of its life, and it takes the grain, and it crushes it, and it humiliates it, and beats it into a powder that we call flour. And that flour is taken beaten, kneaded, rolled, baked, and it rises and it gives life. Then you think about the cup. Grapes are taken at the peak of their life, full of juice, and they're harvested and they're crushed and they're pressed. And they give up their lifeblood in order to make wine. And that wine is provided and given to us for joy. Even in the elements themselves, we see this picture that God does not want us to forget what He has done, that He has imprinted throughout creation. And we also have plenty of reminders in the Word. The text that we're going to look at today, Psalm 106, if you want to turn there, I invite you to turn there with me. Psalm 106 is is an interesting one because it begins and ends the same way. Praise the Lord. Some of your translations may say hallelujah. And it begins and ends with that same phrase. However, the content or the bulk of what happens here, there's two major brush strokes that occur in this psalm. Between this statement to praise the Lord as bookends, you have a retelling of Israel's history. And the part of Israel's history that is retold is grievous sin against God. The psalmist is telling us and recounting the many ways in which he and his fathers have sinned against God. But that's not the only brushstroke that we're supposed to walk away from. We're supposed to also step back and see another brushstroke, and that is the incredible, enduring grace of God. Where there is great sin, there is great grace. 
So let's, let's take a look at Psalm 106 here. Many think that the psalmist here is David. There are certain elements about this psalm that uh, are like unto other psalms that he has written. And he begins, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all His praise? Blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. And so now he's going to recount elements of their sin and the way that the Israelites, after they had been delivered out of Egypt, after the Lord had brought those ten plagues and had dealt with Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler of the time, he had not only humbled Pharaoh, but he had broken Pharaoh. He had shown the world that Pharaoh was powerless and utterly left that nation in shambles, departing with all the gold and all the slave labor that was building these monuments and these great structures. And so after that happened, they find themselves at the edge of the Red Sea. And it's interesting what we see here. He recounts in verse 7, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea. At the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his name's sake. Note that, for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. And he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy and the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But the very next verse, verse 13, is telling. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. So one of the things that we're going to see in this psalm is a pattern. That that God sees His people. He delivers His people. And although they may praise Him for a moment, they soon forget. They don't remember his works, his deeds, and they end up pursuing other things and seeking other gods for salvation, false idols, which is basically what he details next. If you jump down to verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. So that's that story that Many of us have heard about the golden calf in the wilderness where they take the gold that God had provided for them from the Egyptians 
And while Moses is up on the mountain meeting with the Lord, receiving the Ten Commandments, the Israelites get restless. And they start to question. And they want something a little bit more close that they can worship, maybe something more relatable. And so they pressure Aaron to make for them a golden calf. And it's interesting here what he says, that they exchange the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Notice the, the contrast. The glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. That imagery is meant to show us just the disparity between the two. Exchanging the, the glory of God for a cow that sits there and, and eats grass and, and has to rely on sustenance from the earth in order to live. And so we see and we can recount that experience. But then he continues to go on that they murmured in their tents and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And so we see his wrath prevail. He gives them over to their desires. We see how this plays out. And then we see down in verse 43 as the psalm continues. It summarizes that many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. And here's the key. Verse 44, Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So he responds to them not based on on what they have done, but based on who He is and what He has decided to do, the covenant and the promise that He has made to them. So although they forget His many promises and His many blessings, He does not forget His many blessings and His many promises to them. And so as we, we consider Psalm 106, there's a few things to note here. And the things to note are the dangers of forgetting. We're called many times to remember. But sometimes it's helpful to know why we should remember based on what's the risk if we don't. Well, the risks here, as you can see, summarized in Psalm 106. In verse 7, it says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. And so then it says that he, even though they forgot all that had transpired in Egypt, he came through and he parted the Red Sea. And notice in verse 12, it says, Then they believed. So prior to that, they did not believe. One of the first risks, if we, are going, if we forget what God has done, it can lead to unbelief. It can lead to us not considering and therefore not thinking what He can do now or what He will do if we forgot what He has done. It can lead to a disposition where we may say that we trust Him, but we don't act as though we trust Him. And that's one of the risks associated with not remembering. 
Another thing you see here, and this is in, in verse 13, it says, but they soon forgot his works, they did not wait for his counsel, instead they, they had cravings. And so they, were, they became impatient, which that is also a fruit of unbelief. They, they weren't willing to wait on him. They had these other cravings that were more immediate, and so they, they needed something more immediate, and so they acted in haste, and they had desires and passions that they needed to be served first. And so this unbelief leads to behavior that causes us to act rashly and destructive in our actions and in our passions. Then you see further on down, we see in verse 19 through 21, this is that golden calf incident that he recalls. Verse 20, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot their Savior. This is one of those famous instances of idolatry, just blatant idolatry, choosing to put your trust and your worship and your allegiance into a false counterfeit God that cannot produce. And yet that's when we begin to forget what God has done, it can lead to unbelief and an unwillingness to see what he's doing now and what he has promised to do in the future. And so if we forget what he has done, we'll forget oftentimes who he is and who we are in light of that. And so we'll start to crave and we'll give our allegiance to something and we'll also place our trust either in ourself and our own ability or in other things which is what we see displayed here. And there's an, a, a final thing that I want to draw from 106 here, Psalm 106, and that's in verse 24. It says, Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in His promise. The pleasant land here, or the promised land, Canaan, that was, that was where he was leading them. That was the land that he had promised to them, the land flowing with milk and honey. It was the land that was to be this place where they could dwell with him and he could perfectly provide for them. And it's interesting because they're brought out of slavery. And one of the things when we recount the story of the Exodus is as they're in the wilderness, they've just le left bondage and slavery and then they begin to murmur because they're hungry. They want water. They want provision. They want food. And they even start to say that life was better back in Egypt. At least there we had like three square meals a day, right? And so they begin to murmur and they grumble and they complain. And that murmuring, grumbling, and complaining eventually manifests to where they don't even believe God to be one who can provide the future land that he had talked about, this promised land. Because in their circumstance, they're forgetting what he has done, which makes it to where they can't see what he is doing, and therefore they don't believe what he will do. Ultimately, we have, in all of this, we have faithlessness. 
that forgetfulness leads to faithlessness. When we forget, then we won't live a life that's trusting and depending on the Lord our God. And we won't look forward to what He has for us. See, the story of Israel and the Exodus, it's, a, it's an incredible story of our history. As God's people, that's a part of our history. That's a part of our story. And it, it stands as an illustration of a much larger story of redemption that God is, is accomplishing. We have Israelites, God's people, in slavery and bondage, and yet the Lord brings them Moses, and God delivers them through the leadership of Moses, and they go into a wilderness land, but that's not going to be their final resting place. He's promised them a land flowing with milk and honey of perfect provision. Well, that's our story. We were in slavery. We were in bondage to sin, and God has sent one like Moses, but better than Moses, in Jesus Christ. He has delivered us out of that bondage and out of that slavery. We now find ourselves in a wilderness. We look forward to the things laid up for us in heaven. We look forward to the ultimate promised land where we get to dwell with God. But as we are in this wilderness, we can be prone to forget. I think of that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts, your courts above. We have to recognize that we are prone to wander. We will be tempted to forget. But let's look at this psalm and let's take heed of what we see here. It begins and ends with praise the Lord. Because there is a recollection of sin, but there is also a much bigger remembrance here, and that's the grace of God. In verse 20, 43, many times he delivered them. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. There is a recollection of the Lord and his deliverance and his interjecting into our life at key moments. Let us not forget, but let us remember and let us rejoice as we recall what he has done. Even if it's the enemy trying to have you recall sin or brokenness or pain in your life, don't neglect to see God's grace every time you're reminded of that, that his provision is perfect. And one of the things that we, we can gain insight from about the story that we see here in Psalm 106 recounted of the Israelites and their exodus and their time with the Lord in the wilderness as he led them. In Deuteronomy, he, he kind of preempts them. In Deuteronomy, we see that he is warning them about this tendency to forget. Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. 
failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I think one of the keys there is that he says that in the abundance When you're brought into this promised land, it will be great. You will experience success. You will experience provision. But be careful, because when you experience that provision, your heart will have a tendency to be proud and want to take credit for what He has provided. And I think that's one of our great challenges, especially here in the United States. We live in a culture of great abundance, of great prosperity. When you travel around the world and you see other countries and you see the difference in their socioeconomic status, you realize just how abundant we have it here and how easy it is for us to to consider all that we have And to say, man, look what we've done. Look what we have provided for ourselves. And so at the the root of this forgetfulness is, is pride. It's the belief that somehow we have been the author of the success in our life. And so the anecdote or the remedy is for us as we reflect on and we see all of the provision and all of the successes in our life, we are constantly tracing that back to the Lord's favor, the Lord's provision. Look what the Lord has done. And so what I would like to do is in a minute, we're going to take that white sheet of paper that Michael talked to you about And we're going to celebrate as a community, okay? Because if you look at in church history, there there was something that was happening in the first century church. As they would gather weekly, they would hear the teaching of the apostles. They would engage in in song and praise and worship. And that was kind of an open-to-anybody time. But then there would be this thing called the agape meal that would occur after their main service, And they would kind of retire to a closed group of individuals and they would take time to share testimony, to labor with one another, bear one another's burdens, talk about what the Lord had been doing, and they would remember. They would remember on a weekly basis, here's what the Lord is doing in our midst now. There's a, a recollection of what He has done through the person and work of Jesus Christ, our King, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And that continues to produce fruit in our life as we walk in joyful obedience. And so it's important that we recall what God is doing on a consistent basis so that it causes us to remember how that all even is possible through His blood, through His perfect life, through His resurrection. 
And there's this, there's a, a neat description of one of these communities in the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing to this church, this New Testament church. He's never met them. But what he says in, in the first couple of verses, in, in verses 4 and 5, he says, I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for one another because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That is a community that is so marked by what they know to be true of God that they are a community that is clearly remembering what He has done and they are able to recognize what He is doing so they can rely on what He will do. And that recollection of what He will do fuels everything they do in the meantime. Think, think about it again. I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, your trust in what Christ has accomplished on your behalf, and the love that you have for one another. So that faith of what Christ has done and how He has redeemed them and how He is restoring them and their brokenness is causing them to be a community marked by love. And that community that is marked by love, he accounts, he says, because of the hope, because of what you see down the road, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, that's causing you to act this way. All of that is because they know their God. They know what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And church family, we are called to be that same kind of community. Recalling what He has done. And as we gather each Sunday, we do, we recall, we look in the Scriptures and we see the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But let us be a community that's also regularly recalling what He has done. In your worship guide, I've given you in the Go Deeper section a list of six things. And I encourage you to look at these. These are Six practical steps on how you can engage in the habit of remembering. Reading the Word daily, recalling daily and regularly what the Lord has done as He reveals Himself to you in the Scriptures. Rock pile, that's the second one. That references a really incredible story in Joshua 4 and 5, or 3 and 4, where like the Lord led the Israelites through Moses. He also led them through Joshua. And as they passed through the Jordan River, he told them to take 12 stones and stack them up into a rock pile. And the reason he gives them for doing this is he says, because when your children see that rock pile, they're going to say, what's that for, Dad? Why is that rock pile there? Why? Because he knows that we're prone to forget. And so he says, do that so that when they ask, You'll tell them what the Lord, what I did that here that day. And so we need to find ways to build rock piles in our lives. Reminisce. As you think about holiday and birthday traditions, we have seasons within our calendar that we celebrate. Christmas, we are coming out of Christmas, but you think about Easter and other holidays that we have throughout the year. Take time to reminisce on what God has done Take time to reminisce at birthdays, what God has done in the life of that person that you're celebrating. It's a valuable tradition. Record. Keep a journal. Find a way to regularly write down prayers and 
answered prayers. And pretty soon you'll have a logbook full of God working and you seeing His provision in small and in big ways. And then respond. We see in Psalm 106, it begins with praise the Lord and it ends with praise the Lord. We need to be a people that are actively responding and engaging and cultivating hearts of thankfulness and worship. And then recount. This goes back to what we talked about on Christmas Eve. This idea that your story is a Christmas story. Take the time to recount and tell other people about the stories about what God has done and what He is doing in your life, regularly engaging in the recounting. So what I would like to do is, as we close in this time, we're going to have a time of response, but what I'd like you to do is take that white piece of paper. This is a little different, so bear with me. You're going to take that blank white piece of paper, and I want you to think, in recent history, One thing the Lord has done, unmistakably the Lord has done, whether that be in a marriage, maybe a reconciled relationship, maybe that's financial provision, maybe that's a a job that you've been praying for for someone that they would find work, maybe it's physical healing, maybe it's salvation for you or, or someone that you've been praying for. But just take the time to write on the piece of paper something very simple. And then what I would like you to do is I would like you during the time of response to be bold and to come forward and place these white pieces of paper up front. I want you just to come forward during that time, during the music, place it on the steps, you can place it on the front stage or you can just place it on the ground. But I want us to come forward and what we're going to see is the front filled with individual accounts of the Lord working in our lives as a church. And let us rejoice that He is so active and so tender that He would continue to work actively in our lives.